Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got ground. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry Connick Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's John DeShazer. Well, hello and welcome to the Black and Blue Report here on this Wednesday. And no, this is not Sean Kelly. He is on the road, so I am guest hosting for him. This is John DeShazer, and uh, I get to sit in the big chair for for today and. Uh, Got my uh, my own personal producer. Got Fred Ruckert in here instead of uh, Daniel. So we got two substitute teachers in here. I guess we should be throwing stuff against the wall in here and uh, and playing around. But uh, we have a packed show for you today. Uh, that includes Garrett Downing, a writer for BaltimoreRavens.com, and of course it is Wesley Wednesday. So we get David Wesley to come on and give us a little bit of expertise on what's going on with the Pelicans on the road. We know their first two road games they have split in Portland and Sacramento, losing in Portland and winning in Sacramento. So they remain two games over 500. We'll talk to Garrett a little bit about uh, the Baltimore Ravens coming in to play the Saints on Monday night. Big game for both teams, obviously. Uh, Baltimore 6-4 and four right now, third place in the AFC North division and third place in a four-team division. Tied for third place is basically last place, but they're only a shade out of first place. Uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati leads that division at 7-3 and 1. Baltimore is 6-4. and four. And we know the Saints four and six. Although yeah, that four and six gets them tied with the with the Falcons atop the eight NFC North, NFC South, excuse me. But uh, the Falcons own the tiebreak by virtue of winning the season opener in Atlanta. So we'll have a little bit of information on all those things as we go through the Black and Blue Report here. And uh, you know, of course, we have all the hotness with uh, with with the Pelicans. We're, we're interested in seeing what David Wesley has to say about them last night's game, obviously, because huge game for the Pels. Uh, they want to make some traction, get it going on the road. Obviously, they're off to a nice start at home, but uh, good in a NBA teams win road games. So we will see what Mr. Wesley has to say about last night's win in Sacramento, which uh, turned out to be a pretty nice little comeback for the Pels in the second half. But whatever you do. Stick and stay with us. Keep tuned in because we will have Garrett. We will have David. We will have some more interesting uh, tidbits for you here on today's show. So stay with us here on the Black and Blue Report.
Pelicans fans. Be sure to download the team's official app so you can play our new game, Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Help Pierre the Pelicans save the coast in this infinite flying adventure. Save as many miles of the coast as you can before the water rises. This fun, interactive game includes a basketball bonus round and educational facts about the environment provided by the Audubon Nature Institute. Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Available only on the Pelicans app. Download it today. I'm Tom Richards. I'm 35 years old, vice president of sales at a regional paper company. Six months ago, we decided to transition to one of those cool collaborative open space offices. So now I sit in the open next to three other sales managers, which means there's nothing separating me from... (coughs) Not getting Carl's nasty cold and missing a sales opportunity this winter? That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new Immune Builder Smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to stay healthy this winter. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Guess what day it is? Hump day? Well, yeah, and it's Wesley Wednesday on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. We have David Wesley, uh, Pelican's color announcer for TV, Fox Fox Sports New Orleans, I believe, or something along those lines. I'll, I'll get it right one of these days. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> hey, before we get the dub, before we get the dub, I got to mention to the fans, uh, Morton Anderson, Saints kicker, uh, again, a finalist for the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, so hopefully they will do their due diligence and allow uh, one of the greatest kickers in the history of the game into that Hall of Fame. He deserved to be in last year, probably deserved to be in the year before. And any year he is on the ballot, he deserves to be and does not need to be on that uh, veterans committee deal where, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. He deserves to be in off his merits right now. But getting back to David Wesley. What's up, big dog? Hey, man, what's going on? Uh, nothing how, much, man. How is New Orleans? Man, it's uh, the temperature is warming up. It's sunny here. I don't know what it's like in Denver, but, uh, you know, all is well so far t- today. You know, it was cold as I don't know what yesterday and the day before, but uh, – you know that I guess that will serve as our winter for right now, and uh, you guys probably get. What's the weather like in Denver right now? Uh, it looks cold outside. I haven't been out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, David Wesley witnessed a, a, a nice Pels win last night against Sacramento, um, and uh, and let me ask you this, Dub, um, to see him, you know, kind of not spit the bit, but kind of hand one back to B- Portland the night before. Uh, a winnable game and to bounce back the next night granted you know Sacramento isn't exactly San Antonio but you know this is still a relatively young Pelicans team and to see them bounce back what does that say to you well first of all I I thought it was good one Monty mentioned that he likes for his team when they do play a game like they did in Portland to to come right back it's better than having a few days off so he thought the back-to-back was good and I thought in addition to that, not only was the back-to-back good, that they played the same type of game where they were down, got a lead, got a substantial lead, and Sacramento made a run at them. And in the fourth quarter against Portland, they had zero assists and 13 points. In the fourth quarter last night, they had uh, five assists and uh, you know scored – in the 20. So I thought that was important for them. It was a good lesson and, and uh, lesson learned for them. And, and I thought they performed well uh, for the last two games. They really played some 
some really good basketball, and you've seen some really good things out there. You know, you would know better than most. Is this team built to win on the road? I mean, they seem to be, you know, healthy. A healthy team seemed to be built to win on the road. I mean, you know, now, you know, that San Antonio win, you know, on the road doesn't seem like such an outlier when they go to Sacramento. Because Sacramento isn't, isn't an easy place to play all the time. I remember late in the season last year when uh, Sacramento was a quote-unquote bad team and they beat the Pels there. Uh, so to beat them this year when they seem to be a little bit of a better team uh, it certainly seems to speak well for the Pels. Are, are, are the Pels built to win on the road? I think they are. I think this team uh, can beat anyone, but they have to know why they win. And I thought in the Portland game, for three quarters, they played so well. And, of course, that's coming off the Minnesota game where they played so well, and Minnesota's not a great team either. But they don't always realize how they are winning. And in that fourth quarter, they lost sight of how they were winning. I thought there was some some hero ball, some I can do this, I'm going to bring us, you know, I'm, I'm going to get the basket instead of sharing the basketball, moving the basketball, moving bodies, getting the ball from side to side. And I thought last night they did a much better job of remembering that in the fourth quarter, and I think that's why they won. You know, when you look at them, it, is – God, this is probably going to be a stupid question, but I'm, you know, full of stupidity. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> AD, 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 is he a go through superstar yet? Is he a, a, a toss it to him, get out of the way, let him do his thing superstar? I think he can be. I think he has all the tools to do it. But to be a go through superstar, you have to fail. And then you have to be okay with failing. You know, I remember years ago, Michael Jordan talked about, uh, it was a commercial about, wait, you know, I've hit tons and tons of winning shots, but before those and in between those, I have also failed. And so, one, he has to gain the trust of his teammates. Yes, he can do it. And, yes, we're going to put him in that situation and trust that he's going to do it and live with him if he doesn't, and that'll come with time. In the Portland game, he was completely ignored. He really got about three shots, even though the stat sheet says five. He got three legitimate shots. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's uh, what I, yeah. In that kind of game, you kind of want to see if he can, you know, carry them across the finish line. And they have to trust him to do that. And in that fourth quarter, there were guys that, and I mean. Drew Holiday took nine shots in the fourth quarter against Portland. And they were shots that he would hit a thousand times, but he wasn't. And in the meantime, Tyreek Evans shot five times. And again, they were shots that he would hit. But in all that, Anthony Davis didn't get the touches that he, that he could get. And my thought is, you give Anthony Davis the basketball, he's not going to force it. So if they start double-teaming team, him, he will pass it out. There will be easy shots, easy driving lanes. He could make these guys' lives so much easier on the basketball court just by trusting in him and letting a superstar does do what a superstar does. Yeah. So basically, he's going. He as what uh, Dean Smith and you know. Oh no, no, it's Larry Brown. Play the play the right way, huh? Play the right way. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. And I think 
you know, some people, and even in our circle, talked about, well, why didn't Monty call a play for him? Why didn't Monty call a play for him? It's not about Monty calling plays and saying, okay, I'm calling this play, and this is where it has to go. Because even though you call a play for Anthony, if a guard comes off and he's open, wide open, easy driving lane, you take that. But when it doesn't, you quickly find out where he is. Get him the basketball, get him a touch. He should have 10 to 12 shots, 10 to 12 touches every fourth quarter. Not shots, but touches. And then let him make the decisions. And the more he does that, the better he will get. Yeah. Okay, so now you've had a front row seat here for these, this first uh you know, first 10 games, uh, what's a, you know, obviously it's an early assessment, but what's your quick assessment of this team? Because I certainly, in the last couple of seasons, we've seen the Pels struggle out of the gate and never really be able to catch up, you know, or find their footing the entire season. But to be two games over right now, you know, at least is, is a sign of, of heading in the right direction, obviously. Well, I think I really would have liked them to win the Portland game. Uh, the fact that they beat San Antonio in San Antonio and they hadn't won there in years, I thought that was a nice feather in their cap. They haven't won in Portland the last six tries. I thought that was a good and, – and in those six tries, most of the games ended just like the one did uh, the other night uh, where they've had substantial leads. Brian Gates gave me – Coach Brian Gates gave me a, a stat – and I can't remember the exact numbers, but for like 196 minutes, which they had a lead in those games wow. for 196 out of a and, – and end up losing them. Yeah. So they played that team well, and that team just sometimes – you know, sometimes the team just has your number. I think this team is capable of doing some big things, but they have to stay healthy. And Oxy's been out the last two games, and they won one without him. And they have to trust each other. They have to play the game the right way. And sometimes you have you have five legitimate 20-point scores on this team. On any other team, they could be the focal point, so to speak. Well, and all of them are oozing with confidence, and, and Eric Gordon is – really starting to show back to, you know, his form. So are you able to go through one guy? Are you able to sacrifice? And, it, you know, I look at Bosch with the Miami Heat. He was one of those guys who had to sacrifice. He was an all-star, 20-point guy. And you know, everybody criticized him because, oh, no, he ain't the same Bosch. Well, somebody has to give up something if – you're going to win. They can't all shoot. They can't all get 20 unless they play Minnesota 80 more times. <laughs> okay. When, uh, <laughs> and speaking of speaking of sacrifice, you do you do mention uh you know your Eric Gordon's and 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 your Tyreek Evans and those kinds of, those kinds of things. But um, a guy who doesn't sacrifice a whole lot, um, who likes doing that dirty work is Ashik. How how much is he missed when he's not able to play? Because he seems to take a lot of pressure off Anthony Davis in terms of just having to bang around with against other bigs. And and the last two nights they they've had to play some 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 substantially big. Uh, bigs on the inside, Lopez and Aldridge, and, and last night, DeMarcus Cousins. Ooh, it would have been nice to have Oshik out there. And 
for him, his style of game is he's not really sacrificing. He doesn't he doesn't really care about scoring. His his focus is on the defensive end, which makes him a very important part of this team because he's going to do all the dirty work, and you need those types of guys. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, five of the next six guys he plays with all can score and all are used to scoring. And you know, some offensive players need dribbles to get the rhythm, uh, kind of like Austin Rivers and, and Eric Gordon. But when it comes down to crunch time, they have to know, okay, if I didn't get it by now, then I'm going to wait to see what Anthony Davis does. Is he going to pass it, which may give me a driving lane or a shot, or is he going to score for us and bring us on home? Now, I I had <clears throat> had a chance to – Chop it up with you, as Marshawn Lynch would say, and uh, and ask you about this. But how how do you like this three guard offense? I, I personally like it. I, I like these guys uh, getting out running more. I think it suits what they do, and obviously Coach Williams likes it too. Seems to be. But uh, I hadn't asked your your assessment on this three guard offense with Tyreek and and Eric Gordon, and Drew Holiday. I I really like it. I think it's a, a good lineup. I like them better, like you just said, in transition, and you know sometimes. Uh, it's hard for them to continue that through a 48-minute a, a game, which means that they have to be able to execute in the half-court half well. And that's when you lean on, on Anthony Davis. But I like it. It gives them options to score, it, you know, options to drive the basketball. All those players can get their own shot. So it's really a tough matchup for, for teams every night, especially when they're on. Okay. Okay. Well, that's David Wesley, who was in Denver. So, what, what, okay, you guys got a couple of days off, and uh, I know y'all like to, you know, get around and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I got some words to say about you about that, but I can't say them <laughs> right now. But uh, <laughs> what are you guys gonna do with yourselves for two days on the road? I, you know, today we talked about just kind of relaxing. Uh, we may get together, go have something to eat, and. Uh, and, and and hang out for a little bit tonight, tomorrow. I, you know, we may end up at a hockey game. So, um, you know, your good buddy, uh, Sean Kelly, didn't didn't line this one up to where we were scheduled from 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 morning till dawn. So it's kind of every man for himself. I'll you know catch up on some some work uh, for the last two games and and get ready for the next one. Pay some bills lay around the room, find something to eat, you know, just regular boring stuff. But maybe tonight we'll get out and, and mess around a little bit. Well, yeah, I'm guest hosting for him. So, folks, if you li- he'll be listening, I'm sure, at some point in time. So, you know, he, he knows what we're talking about when we're talking about him uh, scheduling. He he is the king <laughs> of scheduling. And, uh, and you know, we like it, but uh, he is the king of scheduling. So we'll <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> He's gonna love this. <laughs> well, you know, I'm the substitute teacher. He can't do nothing to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Doug. Have a good run. Have a good run on the road, man. Bring home a couple more wins uh, from Denver, and uh, you you guys go to Utah after that, correct? Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, bring home a couple more, and uh, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Pels. You know, worst case scenario, they'll come home 500. Better case scenario, they'll win these last two, and come on home and bring home a little more momentum with them. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. And you know, I think Alex should be back 
So another back-to-back Denver, Utah, and some bigs in there that that you uh, that Oxy could definitely help out with. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Folks, that's David Wesley here on the Black and Blue Report, and we will be back in a flash. At the Auctioner Hospital for Children, no matter where you turn, you're surrounded by bravery. Children and teens dealing with health problems beyond their years. Parents working hard to keep the worry from their face. Doctors and nurses doing everything possible to get them back home, where they belong. From rare brain tumors and leukemia to heart conditions and organ transplants, we offer a level of pediatric care unmatched in Louisiana. With more advanced capabilities than any other children's hospital in the region, even our kids-only ER can handle any pediatric emergency. In fact, the only thing tougher than the problems we see every day are the kids themselves. Choose the Auctioner Hospital for Children and never wonder if you could have done more. Call 866-AUCTIONER to find an affiliated pediatrician near you. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. Well, next up, joining us here on the Black and Blue Report, we have Garrett Downing, the BaltimoreRavens.com writer. Uh, Garrett is with a team that's coming off a bye this week, so you guys have a little bit of an advantage on the Saints, maybe, Garrett. But um, unfortunately for the Ravens, they lost their, they won their last game, I'm sorry, lost the two before that. But uh, what kind of team are we going to see here, Garrett, coming into the Superdome for this Monday night game? Yeah, you know, I think this is a team, both of them obviously have a lot at stake. You know, I think the Ravens, you look at the AFC North, this is a division that where the margin of error is razor thin. Every team is over 500. Um, you, you, this is a, a division where you can you win one week and you're in first place, you lose the next week, and all of a sudden you drop to last place. Um, they don't really have much ground. You know, they don't they can't afford to lose much ground. So they know exactly kind of where they stand. This is a team that's rested. The, the buy came at, a, at the right time for them. It was a late buy, second to last, you know, week for a buy. Um, so they they needed it, um, and so I think they're they're excited to get back to work. You know, they took, they had a whole week off last week, and when they came back in here on Monday, you know, John Harbaugh kind of joked it was like the first day of school a little bit. Everybody's excited to get back and get back, get back to work. When you look at the at the records, I mean, you mentioned in, in the AFC North. Uh, you know, Baltimore six and four, and, and tied for third place was basically basically as tied for last in that division. However, just you know, a, a, sh- a hair out of first place. Meanwhile, the Saints are four and six, tied for first in the uh, in the NFC South. I mean, do you do the Raven from the Raven perspective? Are you guys looking at or are is the team looking at it saying, you know, boy, it'd be nice to be in another division right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure to some extent they probably are. I mean. You know, John Harbaugh has been on the record saying that he thinks that this is the best division in football. Um, I think you'd have a pretty good case for that. I know you can look at the NFC West and the teams out there. The Cardinals are obviously having a great season. The 49ers and Seahawks, of course, the defending champs. And, you know, that's probably you can make a good case for for out West as well. But, you know, the, the type of football that the, that the Ravens and the teams around the AFC North play is just a physical, tough, you know, kind of beat you up brand of football. You know, those Ravens-Steelers games, every time I feel like after those games, there's like a, a few players that are added to IR. You know, they're just a bruising kind of a you know, games. And so, um, you know, it'll be interesting. The Ravens have had success against NFC South teams this year. Um, you know, beat up on the Panthers pretty good. 
Uh, they you know, took down the, the, the Falcons. Of course, they put up five touchdowns in about 16 minutes against the Bucks. So they've had success against the NFC South teams this year. Um, I think the Saints are certainly the best of that bunch, but, um, you know, it's they have had success in that area. So that's something that they're, of course, going to hope to keep going this week. Uh, you mentioned the physicality of of Boston, uh, Boston of, uh, of Baltimore, as well as the uh, AFC North, and I think Steve Smith kind of tossed out a little bouquet earlier this season when he said he thought the uh, NFC South was a finesse division, <laughs> even though he believed yeah. in it before. But um, but Baltimore does seem to be getting back to that to that roots, I guess, of physicality, especially defensively. I know last year there was a little bit of slippage, but it seems to be back to being what Baltimore and the Ravens fans expect of that team. You know, fifth in the league in run defense, 84.5 yards allowed per game, uh, 11th in yards allowed, 335.7 per game, fifth in points allowed, 18.1 allowed per game. Are they pretty much kind of, you know, back to what they are accustomed to being defensively? Yeah, you know, I think this is pretty good defense. They've given up some yards. Uh, they've been really solid. Well, they were really solid earlier in the season in the red zone where they weren't giving up much of anything once teams got close to the goal line. You know, in the in the recent weeks against the Steelers and the Bengals and those two losses in, in Week 8 and Week 9, they kind of fell back in that area. You know, I think this is a good defense. Uh, C.J. Mosley, the rookie from Alabama, uh, who a lot of people down south, of course, I'm sure know from watching him in those SEC years. Um, he's been a really great pick for the Ravens. I mean, he might be the best defensive player on this team. You can make a pretty, pretty strong case for that. So I think this is a good defense. You know, I think also with his offense, the Ravens brought in Gary Kubiak this offseason as the offensive coordinator. And his style, his scheme, which he's been running forever in Houston and all the way back in Denver, uh, it's, it fits the Ravens in the sense that it's a physical kind of an offense that's predicated on the run. Uh, there's a lot of play-action passing. I think it fits quarterback Joe Flacco. He's you know, in the midst of a career season here. Uh, struggled as of late, but I think overall he's having a good season. Um, and I think just Gary's offense is a good fit here with the pieces. And then, you know, the Ravens have, Ravens have some good stories. They've had a surprise story this year in Justin Forsett, the running back, who I'm not sure if many people had heard of him coming into this season. Uh, certainly didn't expect him to be one of the top, you know, five or six rushers in the NFL, but he's had a great, a great season. And so, you know, I think, that, I think I agree with that. I think in some ways they are getting back to that kind of football that you've seen them play in the past here. I'm glad you brought up Forsett because I was going to ask you specifically about him. Obviously, everyone knows about the Ray Rice story and what he was expected to be offensively as a weapon for for the Ravens, but they certainly don't seem to have missed a beat with Mr. Forsett. I mean, where did this kid come from? <laughs> yeah, well, he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's a 29-year-old back who's been around. You know, he just uh, he's somebody who, who really kind of fell between the cracks. He's, he's played on a number of different teams, was on Houston, has played on Seattle before, and um, last year he was hurt. He thought, really, um, that his career could be kind of coming to an end. You know, there was questions about that, and Ravens signed him to a you know, small contract. And when he signed here, everybody kind of thought, okay, Ray Rice is suspended for two games. Uh, once he comes back, and Justin Forsett, you know, who knows if he'll be around. The Ravens had Bernard Peterson. They drafted a rookie, Lorenzo Telefero, in the fourth round. So, you know, the, the prevailing thought from a lot of people even here locally, was, well, this is a short-term solution for the Ravens. And then he got here in training camp, and he looked really good. And then, of course, everybody knows what happened to Ray Wright. And all of a sudden, Forsett was the guy. Um, and the Ravens kind of went with a backfield by committee, backfield by committee earlier in the season, and then he just won the job. And uh, he's somebody who knows this, this West Coast, this stretch zone running scheme uh, that, that Gary Kubiak runs. 
He's a good fit for you. He has good vision. And so um, he's been an awesome fit here. I mean, you know, you look down the line, Derek Dubé has a history of finding these these running backs and making them 1,000-yard rushers. You know, you can go back to Denver and look at guys like Mike Anderson and Orlando Scary and Ruben Drones and Arian Foster, of course, was an undrafted guy. So um, this, is any, this isn't anything new for Kubiak's offenses. And Forsett's kind of the latest in that group, and I think he's a really, really good fit for the Ravens. Well, the Ravens certainly picked up a known commodity in Steve Smith, a guy mm-hmm. who you know has defied the hands of time right now. Um, what has he meant to that offense? Because we, you know, and Saints fans are obviously familiar with him from from his work in Carolina. He has been a nemesis to this <laughs> team and all teams for quite some time. But he certainly does not seem to have lost much of a step, and he certainly hadn't lost that edge. He definitely hasn't lost the edge. I don't think that's ever going to be an issue for him as long as he's suiting up. Um, <laughs> but uh, he he's been, you know, I think everything is advertised probably a little bit more for the Ravens. But, you know, he brings, um, I think a big part of it is he brings a mentality that fits here. I think the Ravens kind of missed a little bit last year. Uh, he brings that toughness on offense. I mean, Trell Suggs, I think, I like the way he put it earlier in the year. He basically said that you know, Steve Smith is like a, uh, he's a defensive player on the offensive side of the ball. He kind of has that physical, tough, you know, attitude um, that the Ravens sort of needed on offense. And he can still play. I mean, those are, that was a question people had, you know, in Carolina. And I'm sure you guys have watched him in the NFC South there for many years. People have wondered, he's 35 years old. Can he still play? At what level is he going to be? Well, he came out and answered that pretty quickly early in the season uh, when he was, you know, one of the NFL's leading receivers. He's definitely shown that he hasn't lost a step. He has gotten quiet lately, um, hasn't had as much success over the last three or four games. I think that's more a result of kind of the offense shifting towards Smith. As his production has increased, and it's sort of, you know, it's the pendulum swing. Earlier in the year, Torrey Smith wasn't getting many catches, and then Steve Smith's production was through the roof. And lately, it's kind of reversed a little bit. So um, I, I think that he's certainly, you guys know, you, you've seen him. He's always seems to get up for the big games and played some of his best football on, on, under the bright lights. So playing against a, an old NFC South team on Monday Night Football, I have a hunch that he's going to be uh, ready to go for that one. Yeah, he's done some things against the Saints that uh, are memorable um, in the bad way for the Saints. I don't want, necessarily want to see him repeat that kind of thing Monday night. And, and of course, we've got, to, we've got to talk about our local guy here, Jacoby Jones, who has not uh, obviously, uh, you know, with Steve Smith and Tor- uh, Steve Smith and Torrey at receivers, hadn't done a great deal at receiver, but still still seems to be a, a returner extraordinaire. Um, you know, 31 and, well, basically 32 yards uh, return on kickoffs with a kickoff return for a touchdown. A kid who, um, you know, we know a lot about his background. Does he seem to be, you know, doing all those things well again this year? Obviously, he's returning kicks, so we know he can do that well. Yeah, you know, Jacoby earlier in the season really kind of had a quiet start to the year. And, and he has, I mean, his focus at this point, his, the way the Ravens are using him, he has specifically, you know, been a special teams guy. He's been a returner. He's really not playing all that much on offense. Um, he does still have that big playability as a returner. I mean, he's, you know, the, people have asked throughout the season, especially earlier in the year when he was struggling a little bit, you know, what's what's up with Jacoby? Is he, you know, what, what's kind of the deal? And my response has been pretty consistent in the sense that he is a big play guy that can strike at any point. All it takes is one, you know, seam and he can get up the field. I don't think he's, he's definitely not gotten slow or he's just as fast as he's ever been. Um, I think he dealt with some confidence issues earlier in the season, especially on offense. He had some drops. He's muffed a couple of punts, but as a kick returner, he's still dangerous and he's, he's made some strides in the punt return game lately. So 
Um, I think he's starting to come on a little bit. Um, you know, return a kick against the Steelers in week nine for a touchdown. So uh, I, I think he is, you know, he's, he's the same guy, I think, as he's ever been. Um, and it's just all, he, all it takes is an opening for him. He could take one to the house. You know, Garrett, from a, from a Ravens perspective, and I don't know if teams address this or not. I, I don't even know if it bothers them or, or, or whatever. But the, the Saints recently had a, an 11-game home winning streak snapped. Um, they had won 20 consecutive home games under Coach Sean Payton, and uh, everyone knows that they, you know, the Saints perform pretty well uh, in prime time at home, especially. Um, is that something that the Ravens, I guess, are cognizant of or take into consideration as they go through their preparations? Or, you know, are they one of those teams who say, look, we do what we do and you, you better be ready to stop us because we're not going to change? Yeah, I think they probably do look at that. I mean, I think if they had their choice, they'd probably prefer to play a 1 o'clock game, um, you know, in, on a neutral field or here in Baltimore. You know, I think playing the Saints <laughs> at home on Monday night, um, you know, that Superdome, um, is is a tough atmosphere. It's going to be a really tough environment. So they have to prepare for it. I mean, they do things like they pump in crowd noise and they work on silent counts. You know, they deal with all of that. They know that it's going to be, you know, intensity. And I think it's part of just human nature. These guys, you know, you they, they get up for playing on these big stages. There's something different about playing on Monday night. And even from a preparation standpoint, you, you kind of sit at the hotel all day on the, on the Monday and, um, you have to you know, sort of get ready for the game, and you're thinking about it all day. When you play a Sunday at 1 o'clock, you just wake up, grab a quick breakfast, and head to the field. On these days, you're kind of sitting around all day waiting for the game to start, so they have to adjust the preparation a little bit in that sense. So, yeah, I, I do think you have to be cognizant of it, and I think the Ravens are. The Ravens have been pretty good on prime time, and, and the Saints certainly have been as well, especially at home. So, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough atmosphere for the Ravens to walk into, and this has been a game on the calendar, I think a lot of people have been a little nervous about, you know, since the schedule first came out earlier this year. Okay. Okay. Well, folks, that's Garrett Downing, writer for BaltimoreRavens.com. Garrett, how can, how can our, our listeners and followers follow you on Twitter or, or at least keep up with the Ravens through you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can check out everything we're doing with BaltimoreRavens.com and our app. Um, you know, we'll, be, we'll certainly be covering everything leading up to this game um, and on Sunday. And uh, so it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Or I guess I said Sunday, but it's Monday night. So, you know, it doesn't get much better than this. I know a lot of people are looking forward to get back to New Orleans, too. Ravens have some pretty good memories from the last trip down there. So uh, it's kind of a home away from home to a lot of people around here. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's Garrett Downing. We appreciate your time, Garrett. And listeners, you stick and stay with the Black and Blue Report. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. 
Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. As always on Wednesday, it's time to talk fantasy football. It's our fantasy focus presented by Xbox One. And here to help everyone out with their fantasy lineup is Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com. Jake, good to have you on again. Yeah, good to have me and good to be on it. Talk about news breaking week, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Lots of stuff going on, and uh, we'll get to the news in a little bit. But first, as always, I want to start with the Saints. They have a Monday night game against the Ravens. Unfortunately, not a lot of good uh, fantasy options for the Saints last week against the Bengals. But with the, uh, it's not official yet with Cooks being injured. How does his injury affect some of the Saints' offensive weapons this week against Baltimore? Uh, I think the obvious replacement and obvious step up is Kenny Stills. I think a lot of the targets that Cooks saw will go his way, but it won't just affect him. I think if we get Pierre Thomas back in the fold, we'll see him back in his mix, maybe with even a little bit uptick for himself. Maybe Traveris Cadet still stays out there getting involved more so than he did when all four running backs were healthy. So you can see some options going there. I don't think that Basically, what I'm saying is I don't think all of Cook's targets are going to go 100% to Kenny Stills. I think it's going to be spursed out through the rest of the team. And then after that, you kind of get into the dicey situation of is it going to be Nick Toon, Joe Morgan, you know, all the receivers after him, they'll probably get more opportunities. But I think the majority of Cook's targets go first Stills, and then you kind of are going to get a mix between Thomas uh, Marcus Colston and Jimmy Graham, and then maybe a few left over. So I don't think in your typical 10 to 12 team league that you'll be looking for wide receivers after Colston and Stills on the Saints, because I think it's just going to be a, a plug and replace, but maybe a little bit more disbursement across the rest of the team. I don't know about you, but when I uh, heard about Jonas Gray for New England, I didn't, I really didn't know who the heck he was. And then he goes and gets four <laughs> touchdowns against the Colts. Is he now the go-to guy in New England, or are we going to see a weird thing with now Shane Vereen get a lot of touches? How do people go about with Jonas Gray? It's basically, it's going to just pretend Jonas Gray's name is Stephen Ridley, and you'll know how to treat the situation. <laughs> That's pretty much what it's going to be. It's pretty much going to be the standard of what we've seen with Bill Belichick before, and it's going to be matchup dependent. That was a matchup where that was a pound-the-rock type of running back opportunity against the Colts. Uh, you look at the situation for what they have going forward, they face three to the next five games. They face teams where you're going to want to pass catching running back. Matchup-wise, that makes more sense, and that's where you see Shane Vereen get more of the mix, probably even more of the touches. So Jonas Gray is definitely somebody that needs to be owned in every single league out there. He's somebody that could probably be a flex running back for most every single fantasy team out there. However, you're going to see the same inconsistency as we saw with Steven Ridley because Bilicek plays his running backs very much by the matchups, and Gray is Ridley, and Marine is still himself. So that's what you got to look at going forward is when you get to back to the pass-catching running back matchups, maybe against the Lions, for example, those kind of teams, which is up this week, you're going to want probably more Vereen than you will Gray. Josh Gordon returns to the Browns lineup after his suspension. It got reduced from a full season. Now he'll be back against Atlanta. How does Josh Gordon's return affect the other Browns receivers if you have them in your league? I think you pretty much downgrade everybody because Josh Gordon is going to see the bulk of targets, and everybody knows that. There's been coach speak coming out saying that, you know, we'll have to see how Gordon plays this year, how he works back into the offense. They know what they have in Josh Gordon. We know what they have. We saw what he did last year, how dynamic a receiver he can be. I think Andrew Hawkins still has some value in deeper leagues, even PPR. He'll still get in the mix. But after that, with the Gabriels and the Mile Austin, 
I think that they're pretty much, unfortunately for them, their value is now gone with Josh Gordon in the lineup. So obviously if you have Gordon, you've waited this long. And I will say that on the side note thing is I get a lot of questions asking me, should I trade Josh Gordon for X or Y? If you waited this long for Josh Gordon, don't trade him. Plug him in your right. lineup immediately. Enjoy the fact that you waited to get a number one wide receiver at this point of the season. Yeah. Absolutely. Browns also making news. Ben Tate has been weighed by the Browns, and I have a feeling it's going to be now all Isaiah Crowell and Terrence West. But I want to talk about people who have Ben Tate, like myself, in two of the three leagues. Um, <laughs> is he going to be picked up by another team? A lot of people are already saying, well, maybe the Colts could use him after the Mod Bradshaw injury. Um, is Ben Tate someone worth holding on, or is he just worth getting waived just like he was with the Browns? No, you have to absolutely hold on to him for right now. You got to see where he ends up. There are a lot of teams out there. The Colts are just one of them. You can look at teams like the Dolphins, who are having issues with Lamar Miller staying healthy. Uh, the Broncos, with all their problems. I doubt that he makes it that far through the waivers to get to the Broncos, but could you imagine his value if he ended up there with all their running back mm -hmm. injuries and situations? So he could have at least flex RB value, possibly even RB2 value, depending on where he ends up. So you can't outright drop him. You have to see where he ends up first. That being said, if he ends up buried on the depth chart like he was in Cleveland, then you can probably move on for more help for the rest of the season. But as of right now, you have to hold on to him. We're talking with Jake Seeley, part of our Fantasy Focus, presented by Xbox One. Now, this might be a weird question for a guy that almost has 1,000 yards receiving, but Julio Jones has not had a touchdown since he had two against the Bucks. On September 18th, should fantasy owners be concerned about Julio Jones as far as his touchdown production? I love that you phrase it that way because that's the same thing I'm saying about Julio Jones. We're talking about somebody who is 12th in fantasy at wide receiver and 6th in the league in reception yards. It's the perception value that have people frustrated. Mm -hmm. As you said, everybody was expecting top 5 wide receiver value when they drafted him. A lot of people even probably spent a first-round pick on him. And because he's only the 12th wide receiver in fantasy – People are frustrated, but he's actually been pretty consistent. The touchdowns just haven't been there, as you mentioned, since week three. But that's kind of a regression thing. And regression doesn't always mean it goes down. Regression means you go back to the mean, which means the touchdowns should probably come for the rest of the year. There should be at least, I would say, two or three more for the rest of the season. Maybe not this week against Cleveland and Joe Hayden. But if your trade deadline is still out there, and somebody wants to sell him off for wide receiver to value him, absolutely buying. He's still one of the best wide receivers in the league. And as you mentioned with the yards, we're talking about 6th and 12th in yards and fantasy points, and people are frustrated with him. Go throw out offers and see if you can get him because he's still at least a wide receiver too in fantasy-wise. All right, fair enough, fair enough. All right, before I let you go, two or three waiver wire pickups for this week. Uh, the obvious names, we already talked about Jonas mm -hmm. Gray. you got to grab Terrence West or Isaiah Crowell if they happen to be sitting out there in your leagues with the situation there. But two more is Kobe Fleener, the tight end in Indianapolis with the injury to Dwayne Allen. The situation out there has always been frustrating because they share so much similar to running backs like you see in New England. But with Dwayne Allen being out, Kobe Fleener's value takes a big jump up, as we saw in that New England game. If you're looking for tight end help, maybe you lost yours or you have injury situations, Kobe Fleener immediately can step in and be at least a low-end tight end one for you. And then at wide receiver, because he was on a bye last week, a lot of people forgot about him. Cecil Shorts is sitting out there in a lot of leagues. And if you look at the game right before the bye, with the fact that Allen Robinson is done for the season, who I really liked and was one of their most consistent options out there, he's going to see a ton of targets the rest of the way. We know Jacksonville's passing a lot this way because they're down a lot. So Cecil Shorts could easily, easily be a wide receiver three, if not higher, especially in PBR leagues. 
Good stuff as usual from Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com as part of our Fantasy Focus presented by Xbox One. Jake, appreciate the time as always, and as we're approaching the playoffs here for Fantasy Football, best of luck the rest of the way for you, my friend. You too. All right, we'll talk to you next week, and uh, when we come back, JD will be back to wrap up this Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue. Lotto is all across Louisiana with cash jackpots starting at $250,000. That's a whole lot of cash. From the neon lights of Shreveport, Bossier City to the banks of Grand Isle, Lotto is your game. It doesn't leave the state and there's nothing like it anywhere else. It's Louisiana fun just for Louisiana. Lotto, it's a whole lot of cash. Must be at least 21 to purchase. Be at the Smoothie King Center to see your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Tuesday, November 25th at 7 p.m. when the Sacramento Kings come to town. The Pelicans Fest pregame block party tips off the fun at 5.30 with music, inflatable games for the kids, appearances by Pierre the Pelican, Pelicans dance team members, and a whole bunch more. Tickets start as low as $13. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your seats today. Everything you need to know about the Saints and Pelicans is right here on the Black and Blue Report. Well, folks, that's a wrap for today's Black and Blue Report. I'm John DeShazer. We would especially like to thank Mr. Garrett Downing from BaltimoreRavens.com, a writer from BaltimoreRavens.com. Also, David Wesley joined us here on Wesley Wednesday, so we appreciate David's contributions uh, this week, D-Dub. Uh, out on the road with the Pels as they continue to try to put together a successful road trip. And, uh, of course, we appreciate you tuning in on NewOrleansSaints.com as well as Pelicans.com to listen to this podcast. You know, you've got your mobile apps, so check us out. You know, it is, uh, as Sean Kelly says, no appointment radio. Had a great time uh, filling in for him today, you know, again, you know, as the substitute I will make sure that I try to put the chair back the way it was and make sure everything is just so, so that when he gets back to his place, he will recognize it. Otherwise, have a great day and continue to listen to the Black and Blue Report. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.